Escape Pod 35 January 5th, 2006 Today's story, Hero, by Scott Sigler Hi, welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, and I'd like to observe a brief moment of silence for the demise of one of the best online science fiction sites, SciFiction at SciFi.com. If you hadn't heard, the SciFi Channel's website announced a little while ago that they would be closing their fiction section to new material at the start of this year. And that they have. This is a damn shame for several reasons. One was that they had the best pay rate of anybody in the genre, and accordingly some of the best stories. Another is that the editor, Ellen Datlow, is justly celebrated for her work and reputation, and she and the website got their share of awards for strengthening the field. A third shame to me is that they were one of the few short fiction sources backed by a significant corporate interest. There are still great web markets out there, including a few that pay pro rates, like Strange Horizons, but they're mostly labors of love working on a shoestring, and I don't take it as a good omen when the money starts backing away. I talked here a while ago about the importance of short fiction in SF and fantasy. It's where a lot of the energy is, the new ideas that tear through our minds and leave a clear wake. Novels sell better, but there's much less variety in the novels I've read lately than in the short stuff. And even the best novels have never packed the punch of the best short stories. Sci-fiction was better than most at bringing out stories with fresh ideas and literary quality. It's not the only important short fiction market, not by a long shot, but its loss means one less opportunity for writers to grab us by the cerebellum and shake us around and get rewarded for it. We need to do our best to support the markets remaining, online and in print, because if short science fiction fades from the world, a lot of new ideas fade with it, a lot of wonder. And when ideas and wonder fade, the world stops getting better. And so, a brief moment of silence. I think that was enough. If you want a longer moment, just hit your pause button and take your time. Our story this week is a gritty, visceral piece that's also about how worlds end. We present Hero by Scott Sigler. The podcast aficionados among you will instantly recognize Mr. Sigler's name as the author of the novels Earthcore and Ancestor. He's been blazing new trails by narrating and podcasting his books prior to their print release. He's also an accomplished game, short story, and screenplay writer who's been published in White Wolf Magazine, Monsters from Memphis, and the horror magazine Flesh and Blood, where I believe he's contributed to the blood half. This story is debuting on Escape Pod, and we're proud to have it. So stay alert and trust no one. It's story time. Hero by Scott Sigler He looked, but he saw nothing. Nothing that posed a threat. He looked again. There had to be something. It couldn't be this easy. Alex Devrasek stood at the edge of the broken lift tube, staring into the fading blackness that led to the basement. He looked around the filthy, reeking, grime-streaked lobby, eyes hunting for the trap, the trick, the thing that would try and stop him now that he was so close. But still he saw nothing. A dry, cracking tape strip held a yellowing piece of paper to the lift tube's frame, out of order. This had to be a setup, some kind of defense. How could Timmerman live in a place like this? War heroes didn't live like this. 
emperor slayers didn't live like this. The stairs. That's where the guards would be, hunting for danger, utilizing the high ground, waiting to fire straight down. Alex felt a glow of fear in his chest. His nose itched. It always itched when he got scared. He considered the fear for a moment, considered his weakness, then scratched his nose and pushed the fear away. He headed for the stairs. Tension wormed through his lithe body, threatening to cramp and knot his well-toned muscles. He ran through a quick breathing exercise, calming himself, bringing his body, mind, and spirit under one unified control. The mantra of the Rillic assassins ran ceaselessly through his head. There is no defense against a perfect weapon. The perfect weapon is cunning, calculating, and ruthless. I am all of these things. There is no defense against me. The words would die with him, for he was the last. Five centuries of tradition would fade from existence, probably as soon as he killed Timmerman. But that didn't matter, not as long as Timmerman died this day. Poetic justice is all the more eloquent with your enemy's brains cooked a crispy brown. Alex reached up to his gray plastic headband and flipped down the eyepiece, which hung in front of his left eye like a red monocle. The headband looked like the typical equipment for a street reporter, a hands-free recorder that captured everything the reporter saw and heard. This headband, however, held a full array of sensor equipment designed to ferret out cameras, motion sensors, auto guns, trip beams, or any other security device. Alex stared through the ruby-red eyepiece, scanning the door to the stairwell. Nothing. He nervously scanned the lobby for the third time, as if somehow he'd missed something the first two times, or perhaps threats had suddenly and miraculously appeared where seconds ago there had been none. Where was the security? Alex opened the door and stepped into the quiet stairwell. One of the light banks hung dead and gray, the other flashed with an erratic pulsing, filling the stairwell with a dim, irregular strobe effect. Thick layers of garbage, both rotting and fresh, almost blocked the steps. He scanned every corner, every shadow, even the garbage itself. Nothing. His nose demanded another scratch. Eyes wide and alert, pulse rocketing through his body, he started up the steps for the fifth floor. At the third floor, the lights evened out, but trash still abounded, as did the ubiquitous anti-league graffiti. He reached the fifth floor, Timmerman's floor. He stood very still, listening, seeking any sound that might filter through the landing door. Nothing. Alex's skin prickled, a wave of needle pokes rolling up and down his spine. Where were the damned guards? This was Timmerman's floor, of that Alex was certain, but if Timmerman lived here, where the hell was his protection? The sweeper picked up nothing, not even a single security device. He focused his thoughts, knowing full well he might open the door to a half-dozen armed league guards. The fear blossomed up again, a little bigger this time, a little more cancerous. But again he pushed it away. Or at least he tried. One way or another, this was the end of the line, either for himself or for Timmerman, and he'd bridge any obstacle to complete the mission. The pinching fear made him want to draw his weapon, but he resisted. He had a plan. His reporter disguise would probably get him close enough to take out the guards before they could sound an alarm. The odds were against him, probably, but that was nothing new. 
He flipped up the eyepiece, took a controlled breath, then let it out, slow and easy. A lifetime of training had led to this moment. The mission was his destiny. Alex calmly opened the landing door and stepped into the hallway. Nothing. Nothing but a dirty carpet and bits of trash littering the hall. Grime streaked the walls, as did spots of bad graffiti. The place was a dump. He'd thought the conditions downstairs, some sort of ruse, thought that the fifth floor, Timmerman's floor, would be a palatial apartment. What else would you expect for the man who'd almost single-handedly brought down a galactic empire? This time Alex needed two fingers to scratch his nose. The Rillic Empire had fallen, Timmerman had brought it down. Timmerman the Legend, Timmerman the Brave, Timmerman the Savage, Timmerman the Unkillable, Timmerman the Fucking Hero. That's what they called him in the history books. Alex knew the truth, knew that Timmerman was a criminal of the highest caliber, but it's the winners who write history. Leon Timmerman, a sergeant in the Imperial Marines, threw his lot in with the uprising. The man who fought his way onto an Imperial dreadnought in order to rescue Lieutenant Pamela Timmerman, his young bride, who'd been taken prisoner along with all the officers of the rebel cruiser Lestane. Leon Timmerman, who'd killed the Emperor himself in a quest to rescue his wife. Well, Timmerman's heroic days were over. Alex was there to make sure of that. It was far, far too late to save the Emperor, the Empire, or any vestige of the old days. But it wasn't too late for retribution. He walked down the hall, feet crunching on discarded candy wrappers, sheets of used-up net reader, and an occasional empty tube of bender. What was this place? How could Timmerman live in a drug house, a slum? The answer must lay inside apartment 5C. It had taken years to find Timmerman, a decade-long search across two dozen worlds and a hundred orbital settlements. The funny thing was, no one seemed to know where Timmerman lived. He was the icon of the uprising, yet he never showed his face, and no one had seen him in at least a decade. At great risk, Alex finally developed a mole in the League Office for Veterans Affairs. The mole obtained the address for Timmerman's benefit checks. The address was an apartment registered to Timmerman's daughter Celeste, of all things, under her married name of Brinswager. The benefit records showed she'd moved a dozen times in the past ten years. Alex flipped down the eyepiece and checked the sweeper again. Still nothing. The eyepiece went back into the headband housing. He felt anxious, out of his element. He had expected a dozen elite guards, the type of protection you'd see for a king or a prime minister, expected he'd have to blast his way into the hall using the modified Transsteel G6 Enforcer tucked neatly into the holster at the small of his back. His nose never itched when he had the G6 in his hand. But nothing. Not a damn thing. Not even a frigging camera. If the League scum were fool enough to let an assassin this close, then they deserved to have their timeless, unkillable hero blasted into soggy pieces. Trick or no trick, it was time. Alex straightened his tie and rang the buzzer for apartment 5C. Inside the apartment... A baby started crying. He heard the droning voices of a hollow vision, then footsteps. The door opened. He'd studied the surveillance pictures enough to know every detail of Celeste Timmerman's face, even though the pictures had been taken some fifteen years ago. 
She was in her early forties, but looked a hard fifty. Celeste held a crying baby in the crook of her right arm, held the door open with her left. Heavy bags lined her eyes, and her brown hair looked dry and unkempt. A blotch of wet baby vomit rested on her shoulder. The faint smell of shit drifted out of the apartment. She looked exhausted, as if responsibility were the only crutch that kept her standing. The baby bawling in her arm, she stared at Alex. "'Can I help you?' Impatience and frustration tinged her voice. Uh, "'Yes, ma'am,' Alex said. "'I'm from League Showcase magazine. I called earlier?' Recognition and anger flashed in her eyes. "'You again? Look, I told you, he's not seeing any visitors.' She tried to shut the door, but Alex slid his foot forward to keep it open. "'Please, Mrs. Brinswager. I've waited a long time to talk to him.' He towered over her, even though she had the thick build and height reminiscent of her hulking father. Her voice went cold and staccato. "'I don't care how long you've waited. He's not seeing anyone.' And don't call me Mrs. Brinswagger. That bender-sniffing bastard is out of my life for good. Fine. Miss Timmerman, then? Please, I only need a few minutes. What's a story on war heroes without Leon Timmerman? Jesus, mister, that was fifty-seven years ago. The galaxy has moved on, you know? He's an old man. I'm sure he's not what you're hoping for. Please, Miss Timmerman, I'll only be a few minutes. She took a small step back, considering... Alex knew he was close, almost in the apartment, and his senses hunted for the trap, the secret defense that must be waiting for just the right moment to take him out. But he didn't see anything. Celeste Timmerman held a baby, not a weapon. There was nothing dangerous in sight. He threw out his best smile, white teeth blazing from behind his tanned skin. Please, Miss Timmerman, I promise I'll keep it short. Her brow furrowed for a moment, then the baby erupted into fresh screeches, its little face wrinkled into a mask of misery. She sighed a tired, frustrated sigh, then switched the child to her other arm, letting the door swing open. All right, mister, but I'm telling you I'll be surprised if he can even hear you. Keep it short. Don't worry, ma'am, Alex said as he strode into the apartment. This won't take long at all. He casually flipped down the eyepiece, yet still it gave no hint of a monitoring device. He surveyed the apartment. Small. A kitchen, perhaps two bedrooms. A living room where the holovision droned a football game. The Onath Krakens versus the Quyth survivors. Alex smiled at the irony. He'd bet his entire savings on Krakens, the risk seeming insignificant when he figured that he'd never live to know the game's outcome. The living room was dark, lit only by the holovision's blue glow. The flickering images framed the silhouette of a huge man. Timmerman the hero. Alex walked towards the living room, feeling the danger now, feeling the adrenaline rocket through his system with a kick stronger than the purest bender ever distilled. His nose screamed to be itched. How many relic assassins had Timmerman killed? How many elite Imperial guards? Timmerman had been called the galaxy's deadliest man. But that was a long time ago, Alex reminded himself. Timmerman was old. Alex was young, and in a few moments, all this concern would be purely academic. Alex entered the living room. Celeste followed, jostling the crying baby in her arm, trying to comfort its misery. Alex monitored her position without looking, always keeping a fix on her, ready to kill her in a blur of movement, ready to kill the baby too if need be, 
whatever it took to get at Timmerman. If there was no security, well, that made his duty even easier. He was close, so close. The last mission of the last assassin of an empire five decades dead. An empire that Alex had never known. He was thirty-two, and all he knew of the old days was the League's revisionist propaganda and the tales of his father, also a relic assassin, heard through the partition of a war prison visiting room. All of that, and now he was here with Timmerman. The big, bald man sat in a beat-up grav recliner, the kind of chair one used for fat people or invalids. Behind him, the holovision showed the Krakens were up seventeen to thirteen. Alex took that as a good omen. Even as Alex came around the chair, he knew he'd found his prey. There could be only one man with those broad shoulders, that inch-thick scar running from between his shoulder blades to the top of his head, and that iguana tattoo on his throat, tail wrapping all the way around the neck. But the tattoo looked faded, blurred, and the shoulders looked somehow wrong, perhaps not as broad as they should be. Or perhaps they just sagged. Training told him to pull the G6 and put a hole in the back of Timmerman's head. But the old man wasn't going anywhere, and Alex wanted to see his face, wanted to see the expression as death came to claim the criminal. Alex came around the front of the chair and stared at his target, ready to kill instantly in a dozen different ways. And despite decades of single-minded focus and training, his breath escaped him in a sigh of astonishment. Leon Timmerman sat in the grav recliner, staring more into space than at the dancing holovision images. Wrinkles lined his face, etched as clearly and deeply as his trademark scar. He wore blue pajama bottoms with no top. A terry cloth bib hung round his neck, resting on a chest that was once huge, but now sagged like an old woman's tits, covered with grey gossamer hair. A thin string of drool ran from the corner of his mouth to the bib, which was wet in a dozen spots. Rough, patchy, grey beard covered his face, clear in the holovision's flickering light. The smell of shit was stronger here, and a scent of piss also filtered through the air. Leon Timmerman was slumped in his chair. No, not just slumped, but limp. Alex noticed a strap around Timmerman's broad chest a strap to keep him from falling forward. Timmerman stared blankly, probably as unconscious of the football game as he was of the spit hanging from his toothless jaw. He was old. Not just old, fucking ancient. Could this be the same man? Could this be the man who'd brought down an empire? The man who'd killed so many men that even League historians had lost count? The man they sang songs about? Made movies about? With one smooth motion, Celeste expertly shifted the baby to her free arm, reached out, and wiped away the spittle. Her expression wasn't pity or satisfaction, but rather a beleaguered sadness. She appeared long since resigned to the drooling behemoth strapped into the chair. Now what you expected, huh, mister? With a free hand, she lifted Timmerman's bib and dabbed at his mouth. I, uh, no, he's not what I expected. I told you, but you wouldn't listen. What happened to him? Same thing that'll happen to me, to you, to everyone. He's just plain old. His 87th birthday is coming up in a week. It made perfect sense, of course. Timmerman's reign of terror ran its course almost 60 years earlier. 
Alex had expected an old man, sure, but nothing like this. Nothing like this drooling moron. Here was Timmerman the Unkillable, Timmerman the Savage, Timmerman the fucking hero. How long has he been like this? Oh, he started going downhill when my mother died. Let's see, that was about twenty years ago. Twenty years? Pamela Timmerman has been dead for twenty years? Yeah, twenty years, that's about right. Unexpected thoughts ricocheted through Alex's head. Pamela Timmerman dead. For two decades, no less. Sure, the uprising had been in full swing when she'd been captured, but the Emperor had the situation under control, right up until the moment Leon Timmerman cut off his head. All because of that whore, Pamela Timmerman, the very cause of the Empire's demise, and she'd been dead for twenty years. Leon and Pamela's story had been told a dozen different ways in a dozen different media, and in all that time it had never crossed Alex's mind that the pair would get old and die. There was something so immortal about the Timmerman story, their timeless love and all that shit. But she'd been dead for twenty years, back when he was just a little kid who hated the League for putting his father in prison. He stared at Leon Timmerman, seemingly a caricature of the once imposing man. As he watched, Timmerman's head lolled forward. Another thin string of drool swung from his lower lip. Celeste dabbed at it with the bib, a reaction so automatic she probably didn't even register it. The small of Alex's back tingled, right under the spot where the G6 enforcer rested. Not yet. Not just yet. He wanted Timmerman to see it coming, wanted him to know the Rillic Empire won out in the end. Alex realized his nose no longer itched. Why is he here, Miss Timmerman? Why is he here and not in some veteran's hospital? They won't take care of him anymore, Celeste said. She bobbed the baby up and down with one hand, the other hand gently caressing Timmerman's bald head. The baby's cries steadily faded away. Can you believe that shit? They say they need the space for vets of the Sklorno conflict. It's hard to argue with them, really. You ever see the wounded from that war? It's horrible, what with those little bugs crawling around inside them and all. But still, you'd think they could take care of Leon Timmerman. It's crazy that the people who make the decisions now weren't even born when Daddy rescued Mom, when he killed the Emperor. He gets benefits, right? Alex realized he'd never thought to inquire about the amount of the benefit checks, only their destination. He just assumed Timmerman had all the money a hero could want. They're still paying, but money at 2256 values doesn't go that far in 2303, thanks to inflation, now does it? No, Alex said, his voice coming from some faraway place. No, I guess it wouldn't. My ex-husband spent most of the benefit checks on booze and bender. Fucking bastard. Maybe things will be a little better now that he's gone. It's funny. Leon Timmerman is in all the history books, a real hero to the cause and all that shit, and they can't even take care of him. No one wants to remember him like this. They all want the man that cut off Emperor Shimoto's head. Like I said, mister, all that shit went down 57 years ago. Things move on, you know? Alex shook his head. It astonished him, even angered him, but he felt a pang of pity for Timmerman. Timmerman was a criminal, but he was also an incredible soldier a man who'd beaten odds so great it was still hard for people to understand. The Rillic Empire would never have allowed this to happen to a warrior, a hero. 
but the League was a far cry from the Empire. In a way, this was a just reward. But still, Timmerman was alive. The Emperor was dead. Alex's father died after spending four decades rotting away in a League penal colony, rotting away as a war criminal. A war criminal, for God's sake, when he'd served the Emperor faithfully. And during his father's sentence, the real criminal was treated like a hero. Drooling waste or not, this was the man that brought down the greatest empire in the history of mankind. He had to die. Mr. Timmerman, Alex said, voice automatically slipping into a tone most people use for small children. Mr. Timmerman, can you hear me? Timmerman's blank eyes never strayed from the football game. Alex raised his voice. Sergeant Timmerman, can I ask you a couple of questions? Still no response. Celeste said nothing, just stood there jostling the baby, whose cries were now only tiny sobs. Enough of this shit. What did it matter if he saw it coming or not? He had to die anyway. Alex reached behind his back and pulled out the G6 enforcer. Celeste inhaled sharply. She covered the baby with both arms, trying to shield it, but kept her wide eyes riveted on Alex. Celeste stared at the weapon, then at the stranger she led into her apartment. Mister, what the hell are you doing? He's a criminal, Celeste, Alex said, using her name for the first time. Old or not, he's a criminal, and he's got to pay. Put that gun away! She felt her pulse racing, pounding through her body in a rapid beat. Was this guy nuts? Was this some publicity stunt? Put it away. He doesn't like guns. That's too bad, Alex said. He's not going to like it when I blow his brains all over the shitty living room either. Celeste tried not to move, tried not to stare as she saw her father blink once, twice, then slowly swivel his eyes to stare at the gun. Oh, God, not again, not again. Mr. Listen, she said in a quiet voice. He's a veteran, for God's sake. Put that gun away now before he has a flashback. The sad thing, Celeste, is that I have to kill you too. You and the child. The evil of the Timmerman line stops here. Stops now. Terror spiked through Celeste's soul. This wasn't a media stunt. This nutcase was for real. He was here to kill them all. Maybe she could talk her way out of it. Talk some sense into the guy. She stole a glance at her father, and her fear cranked up another notch. Leon stared at the gun now, his eyes no longer vacant, no longer empty. She forced herself to look away, look past the gun, and look into the eyes of this would-be killer. Mister, please, listen, she said. She tried to sound reasonable, but she just sounded scared. Listen, I don't know who you are, but my father isn't a criminal. Oh, really? Barely controlled rage coded the stranger's words. What if I told you I'm a relic assassin? What if I told you your father is responsible for my father spending four decades in a penal colony? What if I told you my father was in prison for two decades before they let my mother have a child, and then only by artificial insemination? What if I told you I never once touched my father? Can you see my point now? She started to answer started to try once again to get him to put the gun away, but Leon Timmerman ended all discussion. His giant hand reached out. She heard a slap of skin as the hand closed on the assassin's wrist. The gun fired once, the blue beam passing to Celeste's left by a few inches. 
It blew a huge smoking hole in the wall. The smell of scorched plastic filled the room. The assassin turned. The brief look of disbelief on his face evaporated. He tried to pull free, but couldn't break her father's iron grip. Instantly, the assassin brought his free hand around, punching Timmerman twice. The old man's crooked nose erupted in a gush of blood. The second punch split the skin above his right eye, yet his head barely budged. She saw her father smile. Celeste heard a sharp snap. The assassin let out a small scream as his arm twisted at an unnatural angle, broken just behind the wrist. The gun fell to the floor. The assassin's face screwed into a mask of pain, then of fury. In a blur of blinding speed, he brought his free hand towards her father's throat. But Leon seemed to be waiting for just such a move. He pulled hard on the broken wrist. The assassin tumbled into her father's lap with another grunt of pain. Leon's free hand shot forward, fingers extended like claws, thumb heading for the assassin's eye. Daddy, no! But it was too late. His thumb sank into the assassin's eye with a soft, squelchy pop. His huge fingers wrapped around the assassin's skull, palming it as a child might hold a toy ball. Then a brief twist, a crunching sound, and the assassin went limp. A snarl of primitive fury still covered her father's old, wrinkled, weathered face. Celeste took a step forward and kicked the gun under the chair, out of sight. It was as if a light went off in the old man's head. The savage expression faded away. The blankness returned. He fell limp, held up only by a strap. Once again he stared blankly at the hollow vision, a new thread of spit falling from his lips to land on the dead man in his lap. Celeste felt weak. She sat on the floor, the baby, now silent of all things, cradled in her arm. She felt the tears come, and she did nothing to stop them. A roar rose up from the holovision. She absently stared at the replay screen. A survivor's defensive back had intercepted a Crocken's pass and ran it back for a touchdown. The survivors kicked the extra point, taking the lead 20-17. to 17. "'Damn you, Daddy,' Celeste said quietly. He'd saved her life, the baby's life, but those lives would never have been in danger if not for him. Another flashback, another body. Damn you, Daddy, now we've got to move again. I love you, Daddy, I love you so much, but why can't you just die? But she knew the answer to that. She wondered if he would ever die. He was, after all, Timmerman the Undying, Timmerman the Unkillable, Timmerman the hero. And that was our story. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Quick news again. As I mentioned last week, I'll be at PodcasterCon in North Carolina this Saturday. If you're planning to be there, be sure to hunt me down and say hi. I'm really looking forward to it. And as a side effect, 12 hours of driving should be almost enough time for me to catch up on my back podcasts. The new news is that I've just put up a poll on the Escape Pod website, escapepod.org. If you've got a few spare seconds to check it out, we're asking people to vote for your favorite Escape Pod story from 2005. Why are we asking this? Well, a lot of it's for fun, but we do have ulterior motives. You see, the nominations for the Hugo Awards just opened up, and, well, I'll talk more about that later on. 
Meanwhile, here's some more great fiction for you. Out of the loneliness came a longing. Out of the longing came a vision. Out of the dream came a planning. And out of the planning came decision. Hello, Earth. If there is life and intelligence in this room, make a sign. This is the moon calling Earth. The answer to yours is death. Look, let the vision of this confound your ignorance. Uh, do you expect me to believe this? It's insane. You can't do this to me. We have no. This man had a vision which could have saved you, but you chose to kill him because you couldn't stand the sight of his difference from you. To hear more of that, visit SpaceshipRadio.com. That's www.SpaceshipRadio.com. Your place for far-out radio. This is the heritage you tried to stifle. I've mentioned Spaceship Radio before. In just a few months, they've established themselves as the V-Podcast for radio theater-style SF. They play mostly classic radio shows from the 50s, but they're also starting to develop new material, and Andy Doan's got some big plans for it. I'm a loyal subscriber, and I look forward to it every week. If you like what you've been hearing on Escape Pod, we hope you'll keep listening, and we hope you'll tell your friends about it. As 2006 breaks, we are still the only paying market in podcasting. We're proud of that, and we're able to do it thanks to the support of you, our listeners. If you enjoy what you're hearing and you can spare it, I hope you'll consider taking a moment to click on the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org, and make a donation to us. Last year, we released all our podcasts on a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. This year, having learned from our experience, we plan to release all of our podcasts on a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. I wonder if we can make that the word for 2006. Our featured listener this week is Warrant Officer Al Marshall a Longbow Apache gun pilot assigned to the 1-101st Aviation Regiment from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Right now, he and his comrades are stationed at an airfield a few miles outside of Tikrit in Iraq. He's ordered one of our CDs, and of course the military address caught my eye. He tells me he's been listening to podcasts since last spring, and his favorites are Escape Pond, the books at patiobooks.com, and Scott Sigler's books. He says there are several soldiers in his unit who listen to audiobooks whom he'll be sharing our CD with. Now that I know that, Al, I'll be sending you a few more. All politics and war opinions aside, I have the highest respect for people of any nation who choose to devote their lives to the service of their country. And if what we're doing here can provide any degree of entertainment and make a hard job marginally easier, it is an honor and a privilege. So thank you, Al. Do good and stay safe. Our music is provided to us by permission of Daikaiju, keeping the world safe from elevator music, one burned-out amp at a time. Find them at daikaiju.org. That's our show for this week. I'll close with a bit of hard-earned wisdom. If you have certain knowledge that you're getting the fourth George R.R. Martin book for Christmas, don't think to yourself, I'll just read the first three again to refresh my memory. It'll be quick. So, until next week... If I can pull myself up for air, have fun. 